Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to the Double Density Podcast. This is episode three with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. We'd like to kick off the episode by taking a look a little bit inward. So this is the first episode that Angela and I are recording after having shared our initial podcast online. And we do have a couple of things we'd like to talk about concerning that, right, Angelo? Yeah, I um, I noticed a little glitch at the end of the first episode. Only after you had published it, I was excited to hear the actual published product on my Overcast app and listened all the way through. And there was a bit of a cutout at the end. Right, so there was a bit of silence, and then the the ending theme had come up. Yeah, and and it's really not any of our fault. It's GarageBand's fault and how it works. Well, right? essentially, so you and I both—I I said essentially, which isn't a thing we'll talk about in a second. Yes, uh, both you and I are not to blame for this. We, as Ja Rule did last week for the Fire Festival, we we claim <laughs> responsibility, yet no responsibility for any of this. None. So uh, we've thrown our podcast out into the wild and we've gotten a lot of really funny responses. Uh, the most two common to me are people have asked me about your whispering tendencies. Someone even went so far as to say that perhaps you were on the lam or hiding, which is why you uh, whispered during the first episode. So no, that, that's because I wasn't sure how loud this was going to be. So I don't really have a recording studio. The, uh, our family computer, or my computer really, is uh, in the middle of the living room, and the way my house is made, it's uh, it's got two flo- well, three floors, but uh, the living room is on the ground floor, and then upstairs are the uh, the the kids' rooms and our bedroom. And I don't want to wake up the kids, but uh, after a few weeks of doing this, my wife has told me that it's really not too bad as long as uh, her door is closed and the kids' doors are always closed and everybody sleeps soundly so I can actually speak normally as I'm speaking now. But that first week, as well as the uh, initial test episodes, I was kind of whispering a little too much. So I think this is better. I hope anyway. And I'm not running from the law. I'm very much lawful good if I was a Dungeons & Dragons character. Have you ever played Dungeons & Dragons? I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. Would you want to ever? So I like a lot of nerdy stuff, but that seems overly nerdy. I don't know. I, I, I look. I won't. I won't pass the judgment on people that play Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of people I admire play Dungeons and Dragons. I think you played Dungeons and Dragons. I like you. I guess I have uh, played in the past. I am not playing currently. That is correct. It seems really complicated, though. It is and it isn't. Uh, if you understand some of the RPG mechanics, it's it's fine. I mostly, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, for the rest of my party, uh, was just, I was the team troll, so I didn't, wasn't really playing very seriously. So troll as in a troll like that lives under the bridge, or troll as in, uh, as in the internet troll? Uh, like a conceptual troll. Oh, okay. You know, so uh, make the dumb decisions, do the dumb things, kind of. I was the id of the team, pretty much. So kind of a mix of both, an actual troll and an internet troll. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so something else that we both have noticed are things in our speech patterns that we'd like to work on. Uh, here on out. Yeah, so there's a few things we noticed that we both say... Uh, I was being really conscious of not trying to say um and ah a lot. And I've realized that's not a big deal because people kind of filter that out automatically. I've, uh, in the podcast I listen to now, I'm making a concerted effort of listening to what they say. And I realized I hardly notice when they say um and ah and like. But I do notice when I say I mean. And I say that a lot. Do you say it with your hands up? Like, do you say I mean sort of... Like, like clench your hands together no it just, it's just a 
a way I, I speak. I think I initially started saying that so that I wouldn't say something like like or um or you know. So it's your your mental placeholder. I think so. It's it's my version of you know. Okay. Which is also fine. I think we're not going to be perfect, right? We're just regular guys. We want to have a fun little conversation. People want to listen to us, I hope. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. It's just something I noticed about myself that I kind of find annoying. And I'm pretty sure nobody else noticed until I just pointed it out. And now they're going to find it annoying and maybe message me when I say something. Well, I hope they do. I hope that, you know, they send you things. And it's okay because, you know, uh, I say essentially and things like that a lot or basically a lot to try and summarize things. But really, uh, when I try to summarize, I just ramble. But your rambling's fun. It kind of gets meandering after a while, and I kind of have to cut it off. Luckily, I mean, people don't even notice when we say certain things because you cut them out of the show anyway. Exactly. It's, it's all fixed in post. Like, you can cut that out, and people might not even realize I said it. For sure. I could be redacting all of your important points all at once. Could just be you talking to dead air. You know what? It wouldn't be the first time. Double density. So this week was our first week setting things up, um, and through it, we've discovered that you're actually an old man. So I'm an old man when it comes to certain things. Um, Yeah, so I tried to set up a banner on Facebook. I'm not a big fan of Facebook. I use it basically to to show people pictures of my kids and uh, keep in contact with friends because people my age use Facebook a lot, and we seem to have latched onto it. But... When it comes to certain parts of it, uh, I like I couldn't figure out how to get our banner onto the Facebook thing. I kind of added it as its own album or something like that. I don't know what you said I did, but I'm not even sure how I did it. You uploaded it to an untitled album uh, instead of actually fixing it on as a, as a banner on Facebook, and then you messaged me online saying I don't know what I'm doing. And that I yeah, and then that I think I ended up installing a hot bar on your computer by mistake. <laughs> So see, that's that's the type of thing I wouldn't get caught off doing, right? I, I, I'm kind of careful of stuff like that. But once it comes to things like, uh, I mean, I get, I get Twitter quite well, that I, I understand how to do. Did I just say I mean? I did it, didn't I? Uh, I get Twitter okay. I, I like Twitter basically because I use the third-party clients on my phone. I, I can't stand uh, the regular Twitter client online or on the phone. I I'm uh, what you would probably think of as a, an app hipster. If if I don't pay money for an app, I'm not going to use it. That's a hot take right there. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to use the free garbage apps they give you on the phone. Unless they're made by Apple. I guess those are pretty okay. Some of them are pretty garbage, though, like the podcast app. Actually, should cut that out. Apple might just take us off the iTunes store. <laughs> I feel like you're really good at... Um proactive stuff so uh this week there was that whole uh google docs phishing scam going around you got a couple of emails uh at work i think yeah uh some of the people i communicate with all of a sudden i had an email from them they're not from within the office at work we don't use google docs but i got a couple of emails from people i'd communicated with uh, to that they were sharing a google google doc with me and that i found that kind of odd but uh, i get all kinds of documents right so i went uh, i i clicked on the email and the there was an email from the person, but there was also a CC of some bizarre uh, email address. So right away, that tipped me off that it wasn't uh, legit. And within seconds, I got another email from a different person with the exact same uh, body and title and that same weird email in the CC line. So you're really good at uh, catching spam, malware, all sorts of trickery, but you're not really good at uh, reactive stuff. 
um, things like Snapchat or uh, Facebook. Well, I mean, oh, f- off. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to cut that out. So I'm not really that good at Snapchat. I've, I've actually never tried it other than seeing my, uh, my sisters have it, who, uh, funny enough, are actually older than I am. But they seem to get it, and my daughter enjoys playing with the little filters on there. I don't have it installed on my phone, and I never will. And something that frightened me this week is uh, my wife told me our daughter was practicing her duck face for Snapchat and selfies. She was trying to figure out how to get her upper lip to touch the bottom of her nose. And that's uh, horrifying to me. It's uh, She was playing with her friend on uh, the school bus with her friend at an iPod Touch, so I don't think she's taking the school bus anymore. You know what? That's the only good response, I think. Uh, proper parenting means isolating your child from those who might endanger them. At what point do you start having that conversation with your kid, though, right? So, so the do's and don'ts of social media and the internet, because she's reaching that age slowly but surely, right? Yeah, she's um, she just turned eight at uh, last month. So it's starting to get to the point where I'm starting to worry about these things. We're starting to think about what to talk about uh, with her and what to share and what not to. I mean, she she doesn't have an iPad or any any sort of thing. The kids use our old iPad, my iPad 2. We had st- I had started her with an iCloud account just so that she can start playing around with the text messaging. I didn't want her to be left out. The, the texts that seven and eight-year-olds send each other are sort of ridiculous. And uh, we realized it was kind of a waste of time for her, so we we kind of cut that off for now. We we turned off notifications. It's still set up to get text messages, but they kind of delete themselves after a few days. Is there a guidebook you're following? Are there online resources that you're using to sort of gauge what you should be doing uh, in terms of uh, non-IRL interactions? Well, lucky enough, I uh, the other parent in this equation is a professional. Uh, my wife's a teacher and uh, in fact teaches at the school that our kid goes to so that kind of helps uh, us understand uh, what how we should limit things uh, my wife's really good at understanding that stuff i mean she deals oh god damn it <laughs> oh that was pretty good <laughs> you're gonna it's not gonna get old for you is it so my wife understands how this works uh, it's it's her job to know how kids deal with these things and uh, she's had training in this so she understands w- where and when we should limit but just like everyone else she it's it's her own kid it always becomes different when when it's your own kid and how to deal with technology so we're it's a learning curve i think we're doing an okay job speaking of learning curves though like this whole podcast experience you know setting it up and getting it out has also been a learning curve for both of us it's been really interesting because I uh, did we establish I listen to a lot of podcasts? I think we established that. You perhaps have mentioned it in passing once or twice. And it's interesting to see how uh the sausage is made, so to speak. Is there is there anything that kind of surprises you about this? How easy it was to get our show on iTunes. It really wasn't uh it didn't well, actually I didn't do anything. Uh you did most of that, but it sounded like it wasn't a super complicated process, right? No, not at all. I mean you submit and then you wait to hear back. But it was weird because I had, you know, I vanity searched just to see when it would pop up and I never got an approval email uh from Apple, but there it was. It showed up uh Tuesday morning? No, no, before that. It was before that, okay. Because yeah. you we were talking on Saturday and you had submitted it to Stitcher, I think, already? Yeah, Stitcher, and uh, that took uh, no time at all. But with with uh, iTunes, usually it takes a couple of days, which is why we pushed the first episode out early. 
and we got the um, we got the RSS feed. I put that into Overcast, which then, with the iTunes directory, and uh, it automatically goes into Overcast. And I'm sure we're in the other podcast apps as well. I haven't really tried anything other than uh, Apple's podcast app and uh, Overcast. So we're out and about, and we're free into the world. And this is you know where we're at. And in searching for things, uh, I discovered earlier today, and I share this with you, that we have a, a Spanish sister cast. Yeah, it was kind of fun to see uh, that we we searched uh, um, quite a while to make sure that we weren't copying anybody's name. And I was pretty pleased when we finally found the name, because we worked through a few titles for the show, right? Right. And uh, it was fun to to kind of figure out what we were going to use. And we noticed that uh, I liked the idea of having a, a diskette as our artwork. You liked it too. And then I, I kind of came across the fact that Oh, we can call ourselves double density because we're both where there's two of us and we're sort of dense sometimes. Uh, and it, it's a lot of fun. And it worked out. There were no other podcasts called Double Density. No, well, you know, except for today when we discovered the Double Densidad podcast, which is out of Mexico. And it's also a, 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 a technological diary of sorts. I mean, I, I can't. prolific. I don't really listen to a lot of Spanish speakers, so I couldn't tell you much about what it's about beyond the fact that it is uh, technologically inclined so but he's he's released what like 45 episodes since january yeah he's pretty much doing almost daily and i i didn't look to see how long the episodes were but are, is he like talking for 10 minutes 20 minutes i, I couldn't uh, where i looked it didn't say how long the episodes were you know what? give me a second they're about 20 minutes each Okay, so that's not too bad. He probably just, instead of writing a blog, he just goes on and talks about it. Yeah, so in the newest episode, for example, he talks about Windows 10 and YouTube uh, uh, using Chrome OS on the Surface uh, versus a MacBook, etc., etc. Maybe we'll do a crossover one day. I highly doubt it, unless your Spanish or his English is amazing, but let's keep that open, shall we? Good idea. Double density. So, um... We had a bit of a, a very slight bit of follow-up from last episode when I mentioned the backfire effect. Uh, and it was timely this week that uh, one of the best web comics, in my opinion, uh, The Oatmeal. I don't know if you've uh, if you've uh, ever seen The Oatmeal uh, or visited his site at all, Brian. I definitely uh, have come across this product on the internet. Uh, it's extraordinarily funny. A little profane at times. A lot of fun, though. And he had a comic about the backfire effect this week, and it pretty much sums it up perfectly, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it is a little lengthy, but absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a long comic, but worth the read. A lot of fun. Because as, as he goes on, he says, okay, the, the, does this offend you? I was offended by none of it. Right. But I guess because uh, he seems to have the, the a similar mentality I do about this stuff, so it kind of didn't bother me, but I'm sure some of the stuff he said would have upset some people. I absolutely agree with you because I think it is uh, anytime there's internal questioning or the, you know the questioning of self I think that like people are reticent to sort of look inwards whereas you know we spend all of our time talking about ourselves here um, on double density so you know we're uh, we're doing pretty okay I think we're all right so this year um, I celebrated a bit of an anniversary uh, last week is an important milestone in your life I remember the day perfectly it was April 24th it was sunny and the UPS man rang the doorbell around 4.30, and I got my Apple Watch on the uh, launch day. 
one of the few lucky people to get an Apple Watch on, on launch day because I ordered one with the blue band. Nobody wanted the blue band ones, and they, they sent them out pretty quick. And I can't believe it's already been two years of the Apple Watch. Aren't you the bell of the Apple Watch ball, then? So the Apple Watch, a lot of people are wonder about it. It's, I like it quite a bit. I've always liked watches. I stopped wearing one for a while. Well, the thing, too, is that you also have uh, an iPhone, which helps. But you kind of forget how convenient it is to have the time on your wrist. Um, but one of my reasons for getting the Apple Watch is I really wanted to track my fitness a little better. Uh, I do like to exercise. I like to stay uh, in shape. And the Apple Watch does help me realize that all the walking I do throughout the week uh, does count as a lot of exercise. So over the past two years, I've I've been it's been really helpful in making uh, in allowing me to make sure I I stay on top of uh, of my fitness because uh, as I grow old and uh, I want to be able to keep playing with my kids. So do you feel like this has made a positive change in your life? Like, do you actively monitor it? Do you adjust accordingly? So that's the thing, right? Uh, the adjustment is what is is helpful because it'll t- I'll be able to see that if I'm not being active enough, it'll kind of uh, nudge me in the direction of wanting to make sure I keep on top of my exercise. It's sort of, uh, if I look down at my wrist and don't see uh, those little uh, green, red, and blue circles closed, it kind of reminds you that... Uh, I should get up off the couch, stop watching Netflix, and go exercise a little for uh, for a bit. The thing is that they wanted to initially make it like a small iPhone with all these apps. And to be honest, I think I have one app installed on there that's not part of the watch. I mean, functionally speaking, it seems kind of limited in screen space and, and, and size too, right? So making a, a effective apps for such a small screen seems kind of difficult to do. In practice, you're right. It, it's kind of hard. There's a few things that work well. Uh, the music app is great to skip songs. The thing is, in where we live, five months out of the year, it's kind of a hassle to, if I'm on the go, to tap my watch to change song or to raise the volume because we're wearing giant coats. Uh, but now that it's warming up, it's it's getting a lot easier. So I'm enjoying being able to skip tracks and uh, raise the volume and stuff with the watch. So beyond the watch, though, you're also towing the company line in that you also have the Apple AirPods. Yeah, that's another thing. I went out and got uh, day one. I um, I remember joking with you that morning uh, saying, are you waiting in line? And you said you were having an outer body experience, outer body experience waiting in line there for the AirPods. It was really cold, and when I walked by that morning, because uh, I walked by the Apple Store every day, not because uh, for religious reasons or anything, but uh, it's on the way to work. Do you do the sign of the Apple as you 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 walk by, though? I used to. I stopped. Okay, so you're, you're sort of lapsed. I'm a bit lapsed, yeah. Okay. Um, I do wave though. Uh, I went on my lunch break, and uh, they had just come out of the 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 shipping container. Basically, they were still cold. I bought a pair, and I've been using them since. And this week, it's interesting. It's been, I guess, almost, uh, I can't believe, almost five months already that they've been out. I got them at the end of December. And there's a satisfaction survey that uh, was recently released. And um, I have to agree. Uh, I'm completely satisfied. I think it's one of the best products Apple's released in years. But do you feel like there's a, a, a small amount of, of uh, positive bias coming that way, too? From me? No, just in general with the satisfaction survey because those numbers are outrageous. I don't know if you, you took a look. Yeah, I took a look at it. It, it. It's pretty crazy. So I'm wondering if it's, yeah, 
how people they always kind of defend what they buy even if they buy garbage well i think it's it's also defending like being on brand means being able to defend things like airpods when they're not necessarily the best thing in the world but they're better than having nothing i guess but so the thing is with that i wonder nothing else seems to have this highest satisfaction not even the iphone not even not the apple watch that's for sure and people that would have spent that much money on an apple watch would kind of defend it i I like my Apple Watch, but I, I I've told people it's not for everyone. It's not necessarily worth spending five hundred dollars on that. With AirPods, they seem expensive, right? But they're actually not if you compare them to the exact same type of product. So any um, earbuds that don't have any wires attached to them will cost you more than the AirPods, and they work so well. I I haven't had many glitches with it, and Bluetooth stuff is usually pretty crummy. The only tr- time I have trouble with them. And this only happens in the winter, and it happens with everything I have that's Bluetooth, is we have an automatic car starter, and any time we use that, it totally throws off Bluetooth on all my devices. Almost like an EMP. Maybe it's an anti-Apple agent um, working in uh, your part of the world. Sort of like an anti-Apple EMP? Yeah, exactly. I think it might, it, it might be rods, though. Damn rods. They screw everything. I haven't seen them as much since we... Uh, we stopped uh, using interlaced uh, video, though. I thought you wouldn't bring up the methodology behind that. I thought we were keeping that secret, but I guess not. A double-density PSA. Don't you dare copy that floppy. Nor copy it. Who cares? So welcome back to the Double Density Podcast, and... uh, things always kind of surprise me and excite me in different ways. And this week you and I were talking and I had mentioned the concept of creepypasta tea, which you're not familiar with at all. I had never heard of it in all the times I go on the internet and look at fun paranormal stuff or consider myself a a student of the internet. I, I understand how it works. I know the culture behind it. If I had heard the term creepypasta, I've probably forgotten it. Great. So Urban Dictionary describes creepypasta as a disturbing ghost or horror stories in general that lurk through the interwebs, mainly on 4chan's B channels. So those, for those unaware, 4chan is an image board where one commonly posts anonymously. The B channel is for random bits of ephemera. It's given rise to things like the anonymous movement, lolcats, rickrolling, the game Cards Against Humanity, and popularizing things like Chocolate Rain uh, by Tezande, which we spoke about last week. So wait, Cards Against Humanity came from 4chan? What had happened is that they had started posting on 4chan, they started these threads together, and then suddenly it had taken on uh, this air, and these friends decided that since they were having so much fun, they turned their 4chan musings into real-life musings to much success. Well, one of the uh, one of the creators of uh, Cards Against Humanity hosts one of my favorite podcasts. Shockingly, I wonder if we can go one episode without you referring to something you listen to. No. So this was originally called Copy Pasta, um, and so the name Creepy Pasta is a subset of scary stories uh, that are sort of uh, based around um, people creating things. So Creepy Pasta is the online equivalent to telling ghost stories around a campfire. Only this time around, it's done via audio and visual media as well as text. Urban legends and myths are also created and then perpetuated first on 4chan and then throughout the larger internet. So there's like a trickle-down effect almost of a lot of uh, these myths. So you mentioned 4chan. That's something I, I really don't know much about other than the stories I've heard here and there. But 
Maybe that's why I didn't know much about creepypasta. I've spent a marginal amount of time on 4chan, I guess would be the best way of putting it. Like, I'm not a 4chan troll by any means. I've never actually posted. I don't have much interest in it. And once in a while, I'll, I'll pop around, and I really enjoy So they have these things called green text stories, which is stories about how um, 4chaners have failed in their lives or have been tricked and stuff. So it's a lot of fun to read that. And so this week, um, we were reading an article about a supposed lost PlayStation 1 game called Petscop. So this guy's been uploading YouTube videos um, of this playthrough, and, and it actually, uh, a lot of the game is tied into, uh, like, children disappearances and murders. It's really creepy, and I watched a couple of the videos, and if it's not a real PlayStation 1 game, it's really convincingly made. So do you think, I? so honestly, I do believe that it is a hoax. I don't think it's a PlayStation 1 game that was made and unfinished. So I you, think, say, you think somebody recently programmed it? For sure. I mean, if you take a look at the amount of uh, media created in the name of Creepypasta online, either through YouTube or Vimeo, or even just going through um, 4chan threads themselves, which, you know, uh, clicker beware, of course. Uh, there, people spend a lot of time creating things, and this seems like right up the alley of someone who got bored and wanted to tell um, some kind of scary story. So some of the uh, more famous creepypastas include things like Slenderman. Uh, That's something that, with all the, the quote-unquote real paranormal stuff, uh, Slenderman's one of the creepiest things, and it's a complete work of fiction, right? It, that did... It's it's um, it's documented as to when it came out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the beginnings of Slenderman, and then uh, you know f- after the initial story. If you take a look on YouTube and you type in Slenderman, you can go through. Um, I don't want to do that though because whenever I see an image of Slenderman, it's it's nightmarish. I, I have a lot of trouble with that. It's established that uh, between you and I that I'm not a big believer in the paranormal. I, I, I believe that people see what they say they see and all that stuff, but it's probably not extraordinary or anything. It's just a mistake or whatever. But Slenderman of all that stuff really creeps me out. It's, it's horrifying to me. He looks like, uh, either the ghost of Abraham Lincoln or, uh, Robert Wadlow. Who was the tallest man on earth? What? Like a hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. Turn of the century, turn of the 19th century at this point. Um, no, 20th century. Wow. Uh, yeah, turn of the 20th century. He was, um, I remember seeing his picture in the Guinness Book of World Records when I was a kid and being creeped out by his picture back then too. He was almost nine feet tall. Is he as scary or less scary than Slenderman? I don't know. Less scary, significantly less okay. scary. He's, but Slenderman looks like the evil ghost version of him. Right. So unfortunately, um, the tale of Slenderman uh, was taken quite literally by two teenage girls. Um, in the states a couple of years ago, I don't. And so HBO um, aired a documentary called "Beware the Slender Man" earlier this year that sort of covers the plight of these two girls and how you know, uh, unfortunately, the lines between reality and fiction kind of blur um, for a number of reasons for people, be it mental um, illness or, or other um, mitigating factors. Um, but beyond that, I mean, so the interesting thing about a lot of these creepypasta beyond Slender Man are that they usually involve um, things that preoccupy 10-year-olds. And what I mean about that is that there are a bunch of semi-famous creepypasta about Pokemon. So there's the story of the Lavender Town Syndrome, which is an alleged um, child murder conspiracy that suggests that any players who hear the Lavender Town theme from the original versions of uh, the Japanese Pokemon game, so Red and Green, um, uh, die or kill themselves. That's really creepy. Yeah, there's so also... So you're, you're making the hair on my neck stand up. 
There's also a, another famous one called smile.jpg, which is a story about an image that haunts the viewer. And off, uh, oftentimes it's a Photoshop picture of a dog um, smiling or, or staring off. And there's also a story about <laughs> it's really creepy. Jeff the Killer, which is a story usually accompanied with a pic of a noseless dude who grins a lot. See, so I'm not going to look any of this up. There's a story about uh, SpongeBob SquarePants' friend Squidward dying and how that is a lost episode that never existed, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then there's also some unintentionally funny ones. So I'm going to do a dramatic reading of one of my favorites, which is a classic from uh, nine or ten years ago called, and this is all caps, Then Who Was Phone? So Angelo, I'd like you to settle in, get ready. Are you ready for this? I- I'm, I'm listening. So you, you're with your honey and you're making out when the phone rings. You answer it and the voice is, what are you doing with my daughter? You tell your girl and she say, my dad is dead. Then who was phone? The end. The end. Wow. That so not not as chilling as Leonard Rand, obviously. No, no, that that didn't creep me out. That it, it sort of reminded me of uh, how his baby formed. Oh, for sure. Oh gosh, how girl get pregnant? One of the best <laughs> Yahoo answers of all time, really. So what I find really interesting about creepypasta is it's almost like a logical progression of um, things like found footage horror films. So lore that appeared to be quote unquote real. So, you know, in the early days of horror cinema, it was very artificially constructed. You could obviously tell that like these were actors and this was a set. And then in the last 25 to 30 years, I feel like um, a lot of there's a subset of horror movies that have really concentrated on realism. So striving to break down the barrier between film and viewer. And I feel like creepypasta is a natural extension of this in the way that you know it's it's stories are told in a way where there's a familiar element to it and then suddenly you know there's a bad ending or there's there's a creep factor there that that is very effective in terms of film did it start with the Blair Witch Project I feel like it was popularized by the Blair Witch Project but there was a lot of um underground shot on home grade consumer uh video cameras like high eight stuff in the early 90s that um Unless you're a fan of horror movies, they weren't really out there for you. But now, through the power of the internet, you, there's all these people rediscovering a lot of these. Um, I won't use the words lost classics, but lost um, uh, motion pictures that have existed. But I definitely do agree that uh, Blair Witch did blow, not kick down the door, but like blew open the door for this sort of thing. And and for the record, I saw that in the theater when it came out. I was really excited about it. Everybody kept talking how it was going to be great. And I found it really boring. I saw it when I was 12. So when it came out, I was, I was 12 or 13. God, you're a baby. Saw it in movie theaters. And then um, in the interim, a number of years had passed. I had actually gotten lost in the woods in the meantime and then watched it again. And then I found it to be very effective the second time around because I had that real world sort of uh, connection to it so I, the first time I didn't really care about it but the second time I definitely um, felt it was much more effective because I did um, spend a certain amount of time lost in the woods one afternoon unfortunately and, and I sort of uh, those feelings came to the surface a bit so I found it was, it was more effective and, and there is a, a segment of the, the film going population that will think some of these things are actually real right okay. you'd hope not but I've heard of people thinking that paranormal activity was based on a true story and that's actual found footage. I feel like those people are called suckers. And uh, speaking of found footage movies, actually, you turned me on to one of the most interesting alien-type scary movies, and it's one of the segments from VHS 2. Right, the one where it's shot mostly in a GoPro. That, that was one of the best alien invasion films, short films, I guess, I've ever seen. 
it was horrifying. One of the most effective ways in which um, uh, something like that would go down, I felt it was so effective because of the medium that it presented, right? So a GoPro um, suggests realism. And then, you know, the whole story of these kids and their parents leave and they're... And the dog dies too, right? Yeah, he, well, he gets taken up and then dropped, I think, at the end. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was. It's but, funny how I don't care if people die, but when, when you hurt a pet, it pisses me off. Well, I mean, there's that whole website uh, about finding out if dogs die in movies or not, right? So I heard about that, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was truly effective. And I feel like it, it, was partly, it, it was mostly effective because of the way in which the story was told, um, technically speaking... A lot of people devote their time to uh, creating um, audio and visual materials to accompany the lore that exists out there, right? And and it's that idea, like I was saying, they take something familiar and then sort of morph it into something kind of scary. And some of it is obviously kind of hokey, but some of it has an effective element to it, I think, because there's that air familiarity and then there's that idea that it could happen to you. And there's, it's all these stories that seem unbelievable yet very plausible at the same time and it's, I think it's it's very effective but it also strikes that fine line between um, hokey and like terrifyingly real well the, the Petscop one is incredibly well done and if somebody took the time to basically program an entire game or not an entire game but segments of a game it's really effective I think it is I think it's very effective and I think the another element so I think like we're establishing kind of criteria for what creepypasta is and what works about it right so it's um, taking a familiar thing in this case a PlayStation 1 game and transforming it to something scary which is all of these weird child murders and abductions and then based on a possibly on a true story right there's a whole in the article they talk about an actual murder that took place and there's little mentions of it in the game. So some of the, I was watching some of the videos and so it starts off as a really fun, happy, colorful game, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes really dark and you're waiting in front of the door. Apparently you waited in front of the door for hours. There's one of the videos that shows a windmill and then it says two and a half hours later or something like that. And he goes into the windmill. It's, it's extraordinarily creepy and really effective at creeping people out. And that's why some of the comments mentioned that it was creepypasta. And that's where I came across the term for the first time. I also think it's effective because you don't know the origins of this, right? So it's all this media that's created, but you don't know where it comes from. So I feel like that's also another tenet of, of successful creepypasta is taking um, something and, and obscuring uh, its origins to such a point that you cannot tell whether it's real or not, especially with a game like this, right? And we'll throw up um, in the show notes, we'll put in the article and some of the footage um, but you can't tell where it comes from necessarily, right? So you don't know uh, what to believe in or what the parameters for believing in it are. Can this be what's happened with some paranormal stories, right? Uh, like Bigfoot, is this, did somebody kind of create this idea and now people are seeing it? Like some people claim to have seen Slenderman, even though we know for a fact that it was only created seven years ago. Maybe this, because of how Bigfoot is, it's like a, a long-standing game of telephone where it sort of morphs into something else that it actually that that it started from. I feel like there is a snowball effect with a lot of this kind of stuff, and I do agree that perhaps a lot of the um, stuff that's sort of talked about in paranormal circles has been created by people and propagated in such a way that it's difficult to find out. You know, unlike Slenderman, it's difficult to find out who exactly um, first saw the first Bigfoot or what the first Bigfoot appearance was, or that sort of um, minutia involved. The first involved. person to be, yes, and the first person to be abducted by a gray. 
Right, because there's all these conflicting stories and there's there's no timeline established. And so, like, I do feel like there's a lot of this kind of um, lore, I guess. Like, you know, like, I think creepypasta is uh, DIY lore, right? Like, you're just, you're creating your own myths and your own um, unknowable kind of things and then seeing how far it gets out into the world. So I definitely do think that there's a certain amount of paranormal stuff, like you were saying, like Bigfoot, who knows, right? Well, yeah, and even even some of the, the alien stuff, the... The whole idea of these weird, bug-eyed, great aliens uh, kidnapping people. Who are these people and why um, does this um, continue to exist? I think it continues to exist in fascinating people because of the fact that it's scary fun. It's also sort of safe kind of fun because it uses those things that you sort of recognize. It Um, it is fun. Uh, It's just like just talking about it now. it's, It's creeping me out, but in a fun way. Well, fun way. I mean, like, I'm not, um, I'll sleep tonight. It's not going to be a big deal, but it is, it is really freaky to think about that. Especially the smile JPEG thing that I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it. I don't, but all I know is I know I don't want to see it. Well, you will sooner or later, I think. But I mean, the, another interesting kind of offshoot is, is people who borrow from the creepypasta lore. So there's a really funny slash sad, um, SVU episode that borrows from the, the case of the two girls who see Slenderman and, and uh, I would suggest going to take a look at it if you want. I think it's hilarious. That's just me. But once again, it's that typical SVU spin on things. Um, but beyond that, I don't know if you've heard of a game called Five Nights at Freddy's. Yes, I have. I've watched PewDiePie play it. Right. So Five Nights at Freddy's kind of reminds me of Creepypasta in that it has all the hallmarks of a successful DIY lore story. So the idea of familiarity, you know, um, the player is working as an overnight security guard at a Chuck E. Cheese style eatery. And I feel like that sort of... Um, uh, basis to it kind of uh, borrows from creepypasta culture in that it is familiar yet not and it could happen to you yet it could not what i've seen of of five nights at freddy's is that what it's called right yep it's exactly like you say it's something that's sort of plausible but not really is it based in reality or do the robots actually try and kill the guy i, I can't remember the robots try and kill the guy Okay, so it's not really based in reality, but it's it, it is still if you were a a night watchman at a at a weird Chuck E. Cheese type place, it could get really creepy, right? And I think another interesting aspect of the game is that it's a first person game. It's not a third person game, right? So it puts you right um into there and that's why the jump scares are so effective when these um animatronic animals make their way closer and closer to you as you look away to check other cameras. Well, it's like those that old uh, maze game. Remember that game on uh, somebody would send you those flash games? Oh, go through the maze and you'd be playing. And as the levels would go up, the mazes would get harder and harder. And you kind of get your face closer and closer to the computer. And that's when that face would pop up and scare the crap out of you. Right. <laughs> so you fell for it is what you're saying. The first time? Of course I fell for it. This is like the early 2000s. We didn't know anything about computers. Perfect. So you're just con- so creepypasta is just continuing the tradition of of um, scaring the crap out of you uh, in different ways using um, audio and visual media. The thing is, is now, especially just watching the Pets Cop game, it's really, really well done. And it, it's, it's, that's what's so, so scary about it, is that it's almost plausible that somebody created this bizarre PlayStation game and it's only just now been found which adds to the creepiness of it. It's like somebody hid it away somewhere to hide it from all mankind and never be able to find this horrible, horrible game that somebody created with these awful ideas. 
and now somebody's found it and is sharing it on YouTube for all to see. See, now you're adding to the lore, which is, you know, that idea of communal sharing of a lot of these tales, right? Which is great. Well, yeah, the, the programmer who created it uh, was uh, had a connection to the child that was actually murdered. Here, let's take a step back, righty? So, like, there's... Um, um, have you considered the narrative around... Because these are our, these videos for this PlayStation game... Um, are introduced via a, a let's play model, right? So have, have you considered the idea of where this narrative is going? No, actually I haven't. Cause that's something that struck me today when I was thinking about it is that, you know, we're being led on this journey by this person who's doing this voiceover, who's playing the game. Right. And oh I God, don't, is he going to die? Yeah. Who knows? Right. Like who knows where this is going? And I find that very intriguing. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm going to continue to subscribe to this channel and see where it goes. Oh, because so I, he's part of the whole thing. Absolutely. And then you'll realize the YouTube video is coming from inside your house. Yeah, and, and the phone rings, and then you say, then who was phone? Double density. So from iPhones all the way to missing or misplaced uh, PlayStation video games to smile.jpg, which apparently scares Angelo, uh, I feel like episode three has covered a lot of different grounds. And I feel like as we continue uh, creating this podcast and sort of exploring the vast territory in between tech and the paranormal, there's a lot more there to do, right? There's a lot. There's, there's so many connections between the two. And I feel like, you know, the listener also can help us out. So uh, if you want to reach us out through our socials, you can hit us up on Twitter. So it's double underscore density, not double density, but double little line density you can hit us up on facebook you can look up the double density podcast or you can just go to facebook.com slash double density podcast same thing with instagram we're at double density podcast one word and now we're on all of the services we're on itunes we're on stitcher you can find us in the podcast directory you can find us on a number of uh, podcast apps if you look up a double density on soundcloud too right on soundcloud which is a rather uh, you know th- that's the og um, a place to find us. That's where we upload our files that then get propagated. We are also on YouTube. Sadly, uh, no URL yet because you have to hit that threshold of 100 followers and stuff. On YouTube, yeah. Yep. So we're not there yet with the vanity URL, but we are going to be. I believe we can be. Completely unrelated. If you want to go ahead and give us uh, a review, uh, you know, give us a five star rating on iTunes and also leave a review or leave a recipe. We don't really care about that, right? As long as you leave some kind of comment um, on our iTunes page, that'd be really great in the iTunes store. Yeah, we're going to be, are we in the uh, technology uh, paranormal section? We are. We're right under a double densidad. This has been episode three of the Double Density Podcast. And tune in next week as we learn about the wonders of war driving. See ya. Bye.